Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Heathen's Journey podcast. I am your host, Siri Vincent Fluff. So I'm going to keep this intro fairly short. Um, Just pretty much here to give some context um, for the conversation in this week's episode. I'm really excited about this conversation. It's with Katie Swallow, who is a fantastic Twitter mutual. um, And it's just great. And it's all about ancestor work. Um, You may have noticed that I've started a queer ancestor work um, blog series uh, over at my website. Um, I have a link in the show notes for the first in the series. Um, The second is probably coming up kind of soon. And this is a great conversation that dovetails off of the conversation that I had with Lex Ritchie about ancestor work several episodes back. Um, So as you can see, I've got ancestors on the brain. I've got spirits on the brain lately. Um, I am teaching at Catland Books this February. Um, so if you're listening to this episode as it is coming out, you probably still have some time to register for some upcoming classes. My first upcoming class is an intro to spirit contact. Um, and that is just what it says it is. It is on Monday the 7th. Um, if the day is not the 7th, it is Monday, the (laughs) first official Monday of February. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and I also have a lot of happening things happening over on my Patreon, um, which is one of the main ways that I am able to fund this podcast and fund the work that I do here. Um, I also have uh, dark and full moon ritual guides that go out um, every um, dark and full moon or in the lead up to those uh, two lunations. Um, And I'm very happy about them. I'm very proud of them. I do have a dark moon ritual kit um, tier. So if you pay $45 a month on my Patreon, you get all of my Patreon content. Plus I mail you a dark moon ritual kit to go with the guide. So just so you know that that is what's happening. Um, So let's get into the uh, introduction for this week's episode. So I am so happy to be speaking with Katie Swallow. Katie Swallow is a spirit worker, reader, mage, and Reiki practitioner who tends to specialize in uncomfortable things. Death, grief, and intergenerational and ancestral trauma are her frequent companions. Her work can be accurately described as navigating the lines between everything. I love that way of describing her work. I also want to shout out that she has several classes on ancestor work coming up soon. Um, They are not yet posted to her website, but they will be posted soon. So, you know, go to her website, follow her on Twitter, um, do all the things so that you can see uh, when her ancestor work um, and spirit work classes come out because she 
um, she's fantastic. And if you drive with this, if you like this conversation, if it um, feels good to you, then definitely do that. Definitely take some classes with her. She's brilliant. All right. So without further ado, I am going to kick this episode off. Hello, Katie. It is so good to have you on the podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. Yeah. So for listeners who are not um, uh, aware of your work or who don't know who you are, um, I've already provided a brief introduction, but why don't you introduce yourself and what you love to do and all of that? So introductions are my favorite thing because I have a really hard time finding words to describe what I do. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's my favorite. Um, but some of my some of my primary professional skills, I would say, are that I, I work as a psychic and a medium. Um, I also do a lot of work with people around ancestry, ancestor work, connecting with ancestors, um, other assorted strange things relating to death. Um, I'm trained as a death doula. Um, I prefer, I prefer the term magician for the magical aspect of things. Um, I just, I feel like sort of the way I learned things was getting pushed off of cliffs. Um, and so some of what I do can sort of fall into that ceremonial magic camp and some of it falls into the sort of feral hedgewitch camp. <laughs> And uh, so it's just, I just don't really feel comfortable in any, um, any particular camp. So sometimes I refer to myself as a McCarthyan mage. I don't know how fair that is to Josephine McCarthy, but just because in, re in reading her work, it was like, did I write this? Not, which is not to say that I have anything close to the experience that she has, but just that the way that she works, um, I'm like, that's what I do. So it's not necessarily a claim that I've been like trained by her or anything, but um, just that, that the way she works is very similar. Yeah. She is fascinating. So for listeners who are not aware of Josephine McCarthy, please look her up. She is a fantastic occultist. Yeah. She's a really good resource too. She's got lots of great resources online, some free, some paid. So just a nice assortment of things for people to learn from. Yeah, totally. So what um, pulled you into what I'm going to call largely your ancestor and death work? That's a really good question. So um, I, there were actually a lot of things as a kid that came up and um, not actually, not at all, actually, you know, when people are like, you know, I always thought spirits as a child, like not even that kind of stuff. But like my grandmother used to take me to the cemetery every time I would go to visit her, we would go to the cemetery because she was sort of the self-appointed family gravekeeper, um, which now my parents do actually, interestingly. I'm like, oh, isn't that funny that it should come down through my parents? Um, my mom was a geriatric social worker when I was a kid. So her specialty was um, working with the elders and she would take me to the nursing home with her to to play the piano sometimes, actually. 
<laughs> How cute for people. So that was fun. Um, and actually, my first my first job, my first paid job besides babysitting, was working at one of the nursing homes as an activities assistant when I was uh, like fifteen. Um, but like I, so I grew up in a house basically where we had, you know, the Roman Catholic Bible next to Elizabeth Kubler's books on death and dying. And, um, it was just something we talked about. And actually this cracked me up. My mom, people used to be like, oh, you work with old people. That must be depressing. And my mom would be like, oh, you work with middle school kids. That must be depressing. Like, (laughs) yeah. Oh, I cannot think of a more dreadful thing than working with middle school children. I I love them. I raised them. I just, I mean, I think that it just sort of speaks to like, people have to find the work that, that fits for them. And for me, death is comfortable. So, <laughs> Right. Well, we need people for whom death is comfortable because everyone dies. What are we going to do? Exactly. And so then I actually got into genealogy for a really practical reason when I was a kid, because um, my dad is one of 15 kids. And I grew up 3,000 miles away from sort of the the core of the family. So when I would go to visit my family every summer, I had no idea who these people were. I couldn't keep their names straight. And they all have nicknames. So like Glenn Glenn is Bobo and Alethea is Lisa, but sometimes she's Duty. And then Arthur is Roki. And my dad doesn't go by his... his, uh, first name either. So it was really confusing. So when I was nine, I took a little notebook and I um, interviewed all my relatives. I got their names and their birth dates. And then my grandmother started telling me all these stories about all the older relatives that she grew up with, which was really, really cool. Um, So I got a lot of, I, I, it was just sort of a matter of survival in a really large family. Um, Also when I was a kid, I remember my, um, my mom's father's cousin um, had done like 400 years of French Canadian family research. And this was before, I know I just saw your face go, Um, this was before, um, before the internet. So this, so this guy did it the hard way. Like he drove to Quebec, he drove around, he got all the files. Um, And so it's this huge book of, of the family, um, which was really, really interesting. Really, really interesting. Um. <laughs> so listeners, uh, it's just so listeners know, this is something that Katie and I share. I actually recently, my dad was like, oh, Siri, you're interested in ancestors, right? And he handed me a 40-page email exchange <laughs> between him and one of his very distant cousins from the early 2000s. And was just like here, and it goes back 400 years from Canadian so cool. history. Yeah, so like literally, <laughs> very, very similar. It's really neat. Um, and some of the stories are really funny. Like I love the the story of my mother's first ancestor in Quebec, first settler ancestor in Quebec, um, and how basically he's he's the town drunk. <laughs> like his net, we're like. Why do they call him Levine? Why is his nickname Levine? Oh, because he drinks a lot of wine. So Ooh. apparently local, <laughs> local law, local quote-unquote law enforcement would get called on a regular basis because this guy was having too many parties on his homestead. 
Oh yeah. my God. So you never know what you're going to find in those kinds of records. Um, on the other hand, I have some branches of my family where it's really, really hard to find records. So it's, you know, that's something we can come back to, but, um, so other, other things like it's sort of, it's funny because when I look back on it now, I'm like, oh, look, all of those pieces of what I am now are already there. It's just that now I've pulled them all together in one place. Um, so I also had a lot of weird, I did have weird psychic stuff happen when I was a kid, but because my, my strongest psychic sense is actually clairsentient, so feeling things in my body, feeling things through my body, channeling, um, uh, channeling is way too easy for me, honestly. And, and that started to happen when I was a kid and it freaked me out because it's like these sensations in your body that are not yours and you know, they're not yours. So what the heck are they? Um, but because I wasn't immediately as clairvoyant, so I wasn't seeing things in my mind's eye per se. Um, well I was, but I didn't even realize what it was. Um, it kind of just freaked me out. So that stuff, I kind of, I kind of tried to block it out until I was a teenager. And then I was a teenager and I decided to trying things like um, self-hypnosis and uh, <laughs> progressive relaxation. Like my mom taught me progressive relaxation for health related reasons when I was really little. Um, and so I sort of started combining those two things as a teenager and astral travel happened accidentally and that freaked me out. So I refused to meditate for at least a good decade after that. <laughs> Understandably so. When you're not like, no. something like that, it's really jarring. Yeah. 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 So I get it. Like when, when people are like, this stuff scares me a little bit. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's kind of weird. I get it. Um, so there were a lot of things. And then of course, when, when I was a teenager, my mom had a friend who um, uh, came to live with us because she was getting divorced and um, she had Oracle cards. So we learned, got to learn about Oracle cards and tell ghost stories over the dining room table. That was fun. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're also a tarot reader. I am. Yep. And you specialize in Marseille, don't you? I love, they're my favorite. Yeah. I switch. I have a ton. Of, I'm like looking at my shelf over there. I have so many decks. Um, I started with Marseille, but it was confusing. Um, so then I went back to writer style decks, which made learning easier, which is why when I'm teaching, I always just recommend, I'm like, just start with a writer deck. It's got pictures. Most people are visual learners. It's easier to do that way. Um, only twice, only twice in several years now of teaching tarot have I, um, have I met, I've met two students who immediately were like, oh, these Marseille decks make perfect sense to me. And I'm like, perfect. Use them. <laughs> I'm currently making, I'm currently making my way through the tome that is The Way of Tarot by Jodorowsky. Um, mm -hmm. And it is a lot. It's certainly yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, was there any specific reason why you just decided to kind of work with Marseille after having learned on the writer weight system or where did that come from? I think just a quest for versatility because I like the idea of being able to pick up any deck and just use it immediately. So like when I say that I switch decks a lot, I really do. I might, I've been on kind of a stint lately. I actually have this like little purple deck. Actually, this is so funny. It's the, this is just the everyday tarot deck. Um, and it's this one like got absconded with by a neighborhood kid at one point and then got like ripped up and thrown in it. Not ripped up, but like it got damaged and then got like 
I ended up in a yard and I don't know if you can see this, but it's like, a, it's all taped together, but I love this deck. <laughs> Amazing. I like, find it out in a snowbank one day and I'm like, oh, that kid did take it off the coffee table. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's awesome. So yeah, quest for versatility, I would say. And just like, it's like learning languages. Like I feel like when people... A lot of times you'll meet those people who are just really good at learning languages and they're like, oh, I did Spanish. Well, it's close to French. I think I'll do that one too. Like it's, it's that kind of thing. But I also, cause I do have a Marseille deck that is a French deck. I do think that sometimes the, the ancestors are the same ancestors that wake me up with ridiculous French songs. I think sometimes are like, Hey, use the Marseille deck. And I'm like, I okay, going to, I was going to ask about that because, yeah. you know, um, the French ancestry. They're loud, I found. Mm-hmm. They are. But what but it's so interesting because well and route, yeah, they're kind of minor rowdy. Um, they like French drinking songs. Yeah. No surprise there. Um they um but as you noticed, as you and I both noticed, it's not always necessarily immediately easy to find resources about French magic specifically, which was fascinating to me. Yes. So um, I'll just catch the listeners up because I, this is the first time that Katie and I are like talking face to face and we're just <laughs> having like all of these like sparkling moments of clarity. But like, so I, I apologize if this podcast episode feels all over the place. For us, it's not. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Um, but uh, so I have been, obviously this is the Heathen Story podcast. I'm very connected to my Nordic roots. I'm very connected to my Norse side of the family. Um, and I consider myself a Nordic uh, witch, a Nordic folk witch. And at the same time, my French Canadian ancestors have been loud and persistent. And so Katie and I have connected before on like, okay, like how do we find French Canadian folk magic? Like how do we find French, specifically French folk magic, you know, that isn't, um, uh, France has conquered so many times. So like, yeah, <laughs> thinking yeah, about yeah. that as There's well. There's a whole like, lot of just passing in. through. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, so it's super interesting to find. I, I personally want to go on a like little research rabbit hole digging for that because I, I find it so fascinating that there are not materials really on it other than probably like folk catholic magic but even then that varied so widely based on region yeah yeah the little tidbits just like very very few little tidbits that i found have been that kind of thing um but which resulted in a really funny conversation with a friend of mine um who was because her her parents are one of them actually grew up in Quebec and the other one is a French Canadian person who grew up in New England. And um, her mom ended up one afternoon for us flipping through her cookbook to find a prayer that her family used for magical purposes. And we were just cracking up. She's like, okay, hold please. Mom is flipping through her cookbook. (laughs) There's something so just like perfectly folk magic about that though, right? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely (laughs) perfect. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess for kind of bringing it back to spirit work and like ancestor work, um, yeah. for someone who is just curious or just like beginning to kind of dip their toes into ancestor work, I know I always recommend that people start to kind of like write down their family members' names, maybe start to go back into, you know, more recent history. 
Um, I don't recommend that people start on ancestry.com just because like, then that becomes what you're doing instead of connecting with them more directly. But how mm-hmm. do you typically recommend that people begin working on it ancestry? Depends, it depends on the person a little bit. One of the things I do like about genealogy is that for people who are not already in the magical world, for people who are not already in that, um, I feel like it makes it accessible for them. So that's one thing that I do like. Um, I mean, at least it makes it accessible for people who come from family groups that have records. I'll say that because yep. it's not a perfect solution for every every um, ancestor group or family group. Um, but I do think it's accessible for people who are a little apprehensive or just new to um, spirit work. Um, so so that's that's one that I like for those folks. Um Building, just setting up a little ancestor altar that is separate, that is a separate little area. Um, I feel like that's important, but I also always tell people you don't have to put assholes on your altar. Um, We don't have to like all of our family members, whether they're dead or alive. And if somebody harmed you in some way, or you just don't like them for some reason, you don't have to put them there. The one exception I would say is that sometimes I have ancestors I'm not that thrilled with. And I'm like, oh, you and me got to talk. I'm putting you right here in the center of the ancestor altar. This is what's up today. Um, It just depends on what you want to do. I just don't like people who have maybe been through a traumatic experience of some kind with their family to feel obligated to put that stuff front and center. Like you you don't have to. Your ancestor altar, if you want it to be just all the sunshine and roses of everybody who loved you the most, fine. That's completely fine. It's perfectly valid choice. I feel like working with those difficult ancestors is kind of like ancestor work 201 anyway. Yes, definitely. Start working with the people who were either kind to you in life or who are just lovely in their afterlife. And then, or even just. I think that sometimes we also have some people, like I have a friend who's like, oh, I just feel really drawn to this great grandmother for some reason. I'm like, perfect. That's a great place to start. Um, so, you know, then it also kind of, dep- well, okay. So here's my, one of my other, I, I wouldn't call it a rule, but like a suggestion is that um, the idea of communication is important because if you're going to, <laughs> In in Galatia and ancestor work, if you're going to summon someone, you need to be able to talk to them. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, like, if you, um, it's it is it's good. It's funny because actually, this is so funny. It makes me think of the time that I was nine years old and I didn't know that people in my family still spoke French. And my mother sent me inside and said, "Oh, go get on Alice and tell her that she, that it's time for dinner." And I was like, okay. So I run inside and, you know, this lady who's probably 90 something is sitting there and I'm like, Alice, it's time for dinner. And she responded in French and I freaked out because I didn't know what was going on. Yes. Oh my God. She just responded to me. I just think it's hilarious that she thought like a nine year old in like, you know, whatever year it was, but like, Anyway, it was just funny. And so then after, like after dinner, then I heard everybody speaking this other language and I was completely flabbergasted just as a nine-year-old because I didn't know that my grandfather spoke another language, which now is really funny to me because he has, he had an accent. (laughs) Right. But my point is, 
it's good to be able to communicate with them. Um, and that that was a really sort of a funny introduction to that for me as a kid with living relatives was just, oh, I don't know how to communicate with you. But it doesn't have to be through language. I use these all the time. I use my tarot cards. Mm-hmm. And you can sit down. You can have literally, this is what I love about cards. You can have no experience with anything involving communicating with spirits whatsoever. And you can sit down and go, hey, relative who passed, who I would like to speak with, here's a question. Ask them a question and flip a card over and see what you think it means to you. Um, that's funny. It's the moon. I know what that's about. Um, so, you know, the, you're not maybe going to feel totally fluent in that language at first because it is learning a new language, but that's okay. And that's, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, this is a long-term relationship you're developing. It's not a moment. It's not um, I mean, it can be if you want it to be, but like, ideally, I feel like you're going to get best results and more, most satisfaction from, from developing a long-term relationship. So I think that's important in the beginning too, like sort of thinking of it that way and being like, oh, this is a relationship and I don't have to be perfect at this at the beginning. Um, so setting up altars, um, and an altar, sometimes people have, uh, I mean, I don't know if your listeners will have this issue, but so, for some of my clients, it's an issue where they're like, well, I'm not religious. And I'm like, it's just a special space you're dedicating to a thing that you care about. It doesn't have to be religious. Um, so um, let's see, those two things, family stories, writing down family stories. What did your family tell you? Um, and of course, this is, this is just obviously genetic ancestry we're talking about, which there's other types of ancestry, obviously, but like with genetic ancestors, what are, what are the stories that you heard growing up about different people? My favorite part of this is how um, different people tell different versions of the same story. And you're like, and all of it's partially true. That's the best part. But you learn something about, even if it's not true, because I have some relatives that are like very creative storytellers, shall we say? Oh, same. Oh, same. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like okay, I know that a whole bunch of this isn't true, but here's what it tells me about that person. I feel the same way about spirits too. So like when I'm actually speaking with or using my cards with spirits, um, I always accept that it's a little bit, again, this is like the 201 or 301 zone, but like (laughs) I always (laughs) just accept that what they're telling me may require further validation or I may just have to accept it as their subjective account of this thing. And that's fine. It's more information than I had before I talked to them. I think that's a really important point because, um, so I grew up in an area where there were very angry spirits. Like the land spirits were incredibly angry. The like people who had died there were very, very angry. It was just like a really like weird place to grow up as a psychic. Um, (laughs) Because when I left, I was like, why is it so quiet? Because, yeah. you know, it was yeah, just that's like. What, that's, that, my sister and I had the same thing happen with the house that we grew up in, which I think was on. There was something weird going on with the land because weird stuff happened at the neighbor's houses too. And it was a new house we moved in. When my parents moved to a new house, my, my sister, I walk into the house and my sister goes, so how do you like it? And I went, oh my God, it's so, it's, it's, she goes, she goes, it doesn't feel weird here, does it? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah, we didn't know yes. that such a thing was possible because we grew up in this weird house. 
Yes, exactly. Um, but growing up in that like weird kind of spirit soup, um, which is how I describe my hometown's psychic, uh, psychic realm, psychic inhabitants. Um, like it made me have really firm boundaries with spirits. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And it also made me be like, okay, like talking to a spirit is like talking to a person. They are not Mm -hmm. objective. They are subjective. They have a personality. They have an angle sometimes that they want you to do something. Like it's really important to keep in mind. And I think that also in a weird way, I don't know if that is like making it scarier for beginners or making it less scary because I feel like the, it's just talking to a person can be really comforting, but at the Mm -hmm. same time you're talking to a person and you are, I do think it's good practice for practicing boundaries though. And I think that a lot of the reasons that ancestor work is useful are also things that relate to setting boundaries. So for example, um, a lot. And these are things are really common. So let's just like go down the list of intergenerational traumas. I mean, we don't have to go into detail, of course, but like, you know, sexual trauma, other types of abuse, people with um, difficulty with emotional regulation of different types, um, things that people did as a matter of survival that were maybe not kind to their loved ones. Um all kinds of different situations, which are incredibly, everybody has them somewhere in their family, in their ancestry. Um, and those things often create situations where maybe we learned that it wasn't okay to say no, or maybe we learned that it wasn't okay to disagree with people. And I feel like ancestor work just gives us more of a chance to practice those skills that are really important with living people too. Um, that's actually one of the reasons that I like to suggest to people that they set up an altar because it is a space with boundaries and that it is separate from other things. Like sometimes folks will be like, oh, I have their pictures on my bookshelf. And I'm like, that's lovely. Create a separate space. That's not a hard and fast, like law of ancestor work. That's just one of my things that I like to do. Um, and for a long time I had like a really messy, it was like deities, ancestors, metaphysical vomit of an altar and I just found over time (laughs) it was fine (laughs) while it was evolving but over time I just found I was like oh no I need boundaries on this space for this reason I need boundaries on this space for this reason these two things don't go together for these other reasons like just separate it all out um it's like keeping a tidy workspace my workspace for my metaphysical stuff my workspace for interfacing with deities over here, my workspace for dealing with my bills is in the office. Like different separate workspaces, I think it's just sort of a, I feel like it's good energetic hygiene, generally speaking. So I think that's probably yes. a good umbrella to put that under. Um, but as far as, you know, beginning stuff, like I'm like, do you have things that you owned that an ancestor had like because people will be like what do you put on an ancestor altar well if you have photographs that's great not everybody does if you have things that remind you of someone um like gosh let's see I'm like I don't have my ancestor stuff up on this table right now but I'm like so I've got I do have a picture of one of my ancestors sitting right over there oh I have a little Scottish thistle pendant that I like to keep on um my ancestor workspace um that I actually attached to a rosary because I had this one line where a bunch of 
like Protestants and Catholics all married each other. And I was like, cool, you can all exist on the same rosary. Good luck, guys. They liked it. It was fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a ring that my grandmother gave me from my great grandmother. Um, I have ancestors who were herbalists. So sometimes I have plants in my, my ancestor space um, or just maybe for a little while, I'll have a plant. Like I have an olive tree sitting right there. Um, just different things. Um, I like candles just because I like the idea of illumination of family history. There's no bigger reason. It's just illumination. Um, sometimes I will do rituals that where I use fire for other purposes, for other intents, but for, for an ancestor altar, I think it's just legit to have a candle. That's like, I am bringing light here. Um, also because a lot of the reason that I do this work is, is to illuminate the dark corners. Mm -hmm. So many dark corners, Siri, so many dark corners. Um, <laughs> yes. so many more than I could have anticipated in the beginning. <sighs> um, yes, those things are, I think are important, but also if you, uh, something I think in the terms of boundaries that that's important too, is, um, people who are a little bit sensitive, um, to energy who may be able to feel that there are people in their space. Cause the second you start talking to ancestors, they do sort of tend to like come into your space a little bit more energetically. Uh, cause basically, cause they're stoked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're like, yes, we've been waiting all this time for you. Like we've been waiting to cheer you on. Um, that that sometimes it's that it's okay if you're not comfortable with it being in your space to say hey could you give me some space I need that and also honestly it's completely fine too to say it in less polite ways which I have many times <laughs> yeah I really like um Kari Toring's uh Frith and Griff models um that she uses for boundaries which are like there are people who are in your Frith who are you know always allowed to like for me that's my spouse um and then in the Griff guard it's people who are sometimes allowed and then, like, in the Utgard is where the never allowed people are. And um, I even was talking with her once um, about it, or maybe it was on the, one of the videos of her Frith and Griff class. But um, she said, you know, if an ancestor wants to talk to you while you're driving in a snowstorm, you can say, hi, bad time. Let's talk later. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good, really good way of putting it. It is completely okay to have those boundaries. And there's there's a difference between, so sometimes I think when people, so the term ancestor veneration, wonderful word, implies a certain amount of respect. That said, it's a relationship. Um, respect doesn't have to mean always deferring to what they want or always deferring to their expectations. Um, it doesn't mean tolerating abuse. It doesn't mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, um, I, and I feel like, like for me, ancestor veneration is just one small part of right. what it is. Um, visiting graves, if those are available to you, that's another place I love to, to start out. Um, but again, that's a different tools are going to work better for different people. Um, but de developing, creating a space for them, thinking about where you want your boundaries to be, thinking about who the ancestors are that you want to connect with, 
Um, if it's your radical queer ancestors, great. If it's your um, mother's family line, great. Um, if it's tarot readers, <laughs> great. Um, if it's people who are the, the past teachers of a healing, like people who do Reiki, we'll talk about the Reiki, Reiki master guides. That's a thing. Um, so thinking about who you want them to be. And um, one of the things I'll say about that though, is that sometimes folks want to shy away from the, 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 the genetic family sometimes for really good reasons, um, difficult experiences, trauma, et cetera, or just don't like them. That's also valid. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be trauma. Just, I don't like those people. They're gross. Um, but I will say sometimes that's actually, for me, been a reason to connect with those people because it is a little bit different connecting with ancestors or at least learning about them versus dealing with those living people who are still having living, living people agendas. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't to say that ancestors don't have agendas, but one of the things that I do do most of the time is I will ask to work with my ancestors who are healed, healed enough to help. Um, I know that a lot of people define the ancestors who are worth working with in different ways. I've heard exalted ancestors. I've heard venerated ancestors. I've heard um, uh, those who lived and died well. The thing is, a lot, plenty of my ancestors didn't live well, but they died just fine. So, <laughs> yep. And I also think from my own experiences with the ancestors that yeah. things can continue to shift after death, and they often do. And so you might be really surprised um, who you are able to speak with. And of course, you know, if there's someone who is a specific abuser or whatever, like, fuck them, you don't need to talk to them. But, you know, like if there is somebody who you weren't very close to in life and they have passed away, you know, don't write them off. Yeah. Yeah. Or even older ancestors who, you know, like your great greats. Um, yeah. who have actually like kind of kept up and are supportive and yeah. 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 I have a really special ancestor with my great, great grandmother um, or in my great, great grandmother who I call my ancestor teacher, who was a practitioner of all kinds of fun, magical things um, and has been happy to share those things with me. What's really funny is that she is an absolutely uncompromising, unpleasant, person in a lot of ways and I have been to other sidekicks where I'm sitting there in a reading room and I don't even mention her and they go who is this woman that's with you I'm sitting there in Las Vegas a few years ago at a psychic and I'm um I'm sitting there and she goes I can see her just kind of start to like go like this like looking next to her and then she goes I don't know who this woman is but she just called you a stubborn bitch (laughs) And I said, oh, "Oh, I know who that is. And I know why she's saying that. And she's correct. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. She taught me amazing things. And it's, it's, um, and she honestly, like, I'm just going to say it. I think she was probably a terrible mother for a lot of reasons. Like 
my, her daughter, my father's grandmother, I'm like, I can't imagine having her as a mother. She is so unrelentingly perfectionistic. It's like nobody, nobody could live up to this, but I've kind of got her number. I have a perfectly fine relationship with her and I know <laughs> when to push back and she respects that about me that I push back. So yeah. she also knows she needs me because there's some serious stuff on that family line that like, and that's why she sought me out. Right? right. Right. So if she wants me to do the work, we have to find the balance and we do. Um, one of the other really great entry points that I love is um, folklore. Yes. So if you don't know, if you don't know who they are, if there are no records, if your family history got lost for some reason, or like in my family, um, I had a cousin I was doing some genealogical work for, and all those records got got burned down during the Civil War. All right, no more records. Or let's say your ancestors were enslaved people, and those records just don't exist. If you know something something about where they came from, you can learn their folklore. You can learn their traditions. Um, and as you progress on your ancestor journey, and as you further develop your communication tools... You can, you can then get into more detail with them and ask them more questions about the things that matter to them in their lives. But just as a starting point, just learning the cult, their cultural context. Um, for me, that's meant a lot of, um, a lot of Irish folklore. Whew. Um, it's meant, which is actually really fun to read. Um, it's, it's meant um, a lot of, uh, Jewish history, Jewish folklore, um, actually starting a Jewish conversion process. It's been a whole thing. Um, yes. I was actually going to ask you about that. So let's put a pin in it. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's meant a lot of different things, but it has been very meaningful to me to learn about all those different, um, different folklores for honestly, for my French Canadian, um, relatives and ancestors, Catholicism honestly was such a huge part of their lives that, that respecting that, learning more about that. I make lots of rosaries. <laughs> it helps Aww. me feel connected to them. It's also kind of meditative. Um, and also understanding, you know, just, just different things about how that impacted, you know, French Canadian society because the Catholic church really had a, a very strong hold on things there until about the 1920s. So understanding those things, just those things, just the cultural context um, has given me so much. Also, because I am someone who's further down the path of with the communication, with the direct communication with spirits, it makes things make sense to me. So like, for example, oh my gosh, I'm trying to, okay. So I'm just trying to, <laughs> so basically there's a couple of, I'm not a big wheel of the year person. Right. Me neither. But there are certain, there are certain wheel of the year events where my ancestors kind of lose their, lose their nuts a little bit. So um, one of them is in bulk. <laughs> uh, yes. The other one is Vyaltsna. And I, it, I'm really slow. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out why all these weird things were happening on those days. And then I looked it up and then was like, oh, I'm, I'm an idiot. 
this thing that a lot of other witches like or a lot of witches celebrate like today like oh shit yeah 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 and it directly related to because because those things are based in not even necessarily quote-unquote witchcraft but just the cultural context yeah of you know everything that was happening in the the ireland and the the rest of the geography over there it's yeah, it's just wicked funny. I I just feel so dumb sometimes, honestly, because this stuff will pop up and I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, that's the thing that I've been trying to get through that's my head thing. for years. I do the same yeah. thing, though, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that um, you said something really interesting a while back um, that I want to pull out a little bit because I think that a lot of people, if, you know, if you've heard my podcast, if you have... Uh, heard of the concepts of Urlog or, um, you know, just kind of like if you have a curiosity about ancestor work, um, people refer to healing ancestors or they might refer okay. to ancestors needing me, you know, for a specific thing. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of tease that out. Like, what does that look like for you? And also, I know that you work with clients around this stuff. So what does it look like when you're working with clients as well? What I find a lot of times with both clients and myself is that this isn't the only time this happens, but oftentimes when we find ourselves in a moment in life where we're dealing with a particular issue, ancestors who have also dealt with this particular issue are suddenly banging on your door. And it's like, this is so weird. What is this about? Um, So... That's oftentimes what starts it off with, with clients. Um, it's, this, it's pretty fun when it's with clients who don't normally do stuff like this too. Because I'll be like, oh, ancestors. And they're like, oh, weird. What's that? What's that about? Who are they? What do they want? And I'm like, this is where the genealogy thing comes in handy. Because if somebody's got no other context and they do have that tool available to them, I'll be like, okay. Um, when I'm, I have certain, in the language that I've developed with my guides and my cards, there are certain, it's almost like there's a genealog, genealogical, not genealogical, there's like an ancestry slash family history language in the cards. So a lot of times I can like pretty immediately identify which family, where to start, mom's side or dad's side. Once we go with mom's side or dad's side, is it mom's mom or mom's dad? And I'll just keep going. Um, because if they're not, I'll go through it really mechanically like that, sort of with the cards and with my guides to get to try to get people to the point where I'm like, oh, this person, this family group, this issue, dive in, go nuts. <laughs> yeah. Because um, usually it's just a matter of something needing to be recognized so that a person can move past what's happening in their present. So let's say that a person felt really trapped in a marriage and they're getting a divorce. Suddenly their great-great-grandmother is screaming at me in the middle of the reading going, hey, we have to talk. And I'm like, why? And they're like, because I was in an arranged marriage and it was horrifying and I was trapped. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, so let's talk about this family group because what this person is telling me is that they felt very trapped in marriage and the person will say oh yeah it was an arranged marriage and then I go didn't you just say you're getting a divorce 
because you felt trapped in a marriage and they're like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. The healing part comes in first, I think, because the ancestor is there to say, hey, we have this thing in common. B, you have choices available to you that I didn't have. That's very, very common. Knowing that, make your choices and know that I support you. It's like it turns into this sort of reciprocal loop, right? Um, with issues like that. With issues with other types of things, I will say that um, I think in part because of because of who I am, because of who my guides are, there is a lot of um, family sexual trauma that will come up. Um, in those situations, a lot of times what they need is the acknowledgement. They need you to know that this happened because the silence was the trap. They need Mm. you to know. So sometimes it's about acknowledgement. Sometimes it's about completing a task. I am not even joking that I had an ancestor ask me to become a Christian clergy member so that I could grant them a post a posthumous divorce. Holy shit. (laughs) Damn. And I'm like, I'm still in negotiations on that one because I'm like, I understand the goal. I understand the reasons. I understand the context. I understand the trauma. How do we figure this out? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Considering like everything that you were going through in life and your own faith that may or may not be Christian, you know, like that's a lot to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Big ask. Yeah. And I, it, but it, but I like things like that because I'm like, I understand why I'm being asked this for a bunch of reasons. And I understand, um, it's just a good chance to assess your own boundaries again of like, what am I willing to do? Cause whoo. Right. Um, but it's so in terms of the healing, there's different types of healing and it's contextual, but, but the patterns that I see typically have to do with acknowledgement, connection, acknowledgement. Um, also the intergenerationality under learning that because I'm, I sometimes, in order to take tarot speak here, in order to take the tower down, you have to be able to see the walls. Mm-hmm. So, Sometimes people really don't see the walls because it, it takes time. So sometimes I feel like I'm sent as a reader to go tap, tap, tap. Look, there's a wall here. Mm-hmm. And people will go, I don't see a wall. And I'm like, it's there. Let's come at it from another angle. <laughs> right. And then I'm like, okay, guides, how do I retell this story? Because for example, you know, again, let's say maybe somebody has a hard time speaking up for themselves at work. Let's say their grandparent was an alcoholic. So they come from a family where hiding things was a high priority and where it wasn't safe because people would be angry with you if you said something and then suddenly you're at work and you're afraid to contradict people. You're afraid to say no to your boss. You're afraid to say no to coworkers. You hate your job because you feel like nobody listens to you, but you're also not speaking up. It's 
even in little ways, I feel like ancestors do do that a lot. And I feel like it's a, again, a multi-directional healing because it takes that energy of that toxic silence and just sort of like releases it. It's like the second you open your mouth, that energy starts to come out of, out of that whole family line through your body. And it's like the way that I experience it, because I'm so clairsentient is it'll feel like a purge of energy. So when I'm working with other people, when I'm working with other people, I can see, I can feel it before it happens for them. I'm like, Oh, it's sitting right here. <laughs> right. And I'll, sometimes it's trippy as heck. Cause they'll be like, Oh, that's so weird. I keep having this strange sensation in my stomach and I can't figure out what it's about. I'm like, which, at which point I always go, if you think you have a medical issue, please call a doctor. That said, let's talk about spiritual stuff. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, sometimes like my sister and I, when I went to, she lives in Las Vegas. So that's why, that's why I was visiting that psychic in Las Vegas. Cause when I travel, I always visit a psychic, but, um, you know, being at her house, she's got, she does her stuff differently. She does similar things to what I do, but she just has her own spiel. So she's got, um, she's got a Mary, she's got a a Marian shrine in her backyard and we do rituals at her Marian shrine. Um, you know, just sort of classic release rituals, burning stuff, cutting things, um, things like that when we're, when we're out there. Um, also just making her shrine beautiful because it's because it's pretty. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um so sometimes I find that the way that people these things hold in the body um can be really interesting. I remember working with someone whose family had family members who were lost in the Holocaust. Mm one of those family members was pregnant at the time. Mm. There was a lot of grief, a lot of layers, obviously. One interesting thing about Jewish law is that for an infant that is less than a month old, there's no burial protocol. Like not in the way that there is for adults anyway, but there's still grief there that a family would have over losing this child. Yeah. So going through those different processes and what was interesting is in that case, that person ended up, I I used Reiki actually as a tool, different types of energy healing. I recommend stuff like acupuncture, energy work, all kinds of things, even massage, because our bodies house energy. And when we did a Reiki session on this person, it was like energetically, they gave birth to something. Wow. And it was really interesting to be sitting there with them and have them go, oh my God, there's a baby. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I know. So we kind of had to like work through that, that process and talk about it, talk about what happened and talk about just the whole thing. There was just a, a whole process. Um, the other thing, well, this, I would, when I say long-term relationship too, like I was saying that at the beginning, that's why it's important because like with a situation like that, where there's so many layers of injury and hurt and violence, 
it's not always going to be like a first pass where you, you do the thing and then, oh, it's done. My ancestors are all healed now. Um, sometimes one particular incident will have multiple steps. Like that would have multiple, multiple steps that needed to be addressed. Um, and sometimes it's just, sometimes it's not that deep. Sometimes it's not, but, um, but yeah, healing can take on many forms. And I think it's important to include the physical body in that process as well, because it gives us clues. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was saying, sometimes I'll start coughing when I talk about certain aspects of family history. Um, sometimes when I'm doing energy work on other people, they'll experience physical things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, sometimes it's little rituals. Sometimes it's writing stories, writing those stories, with the, writing the stories you learn and sharing them with other family members. Um, using energy work to sort of connect and move things through the body. Um, yeah, I feel like there's so many, like contextually, there's so many interesting things you run into. Um, but for a lot of people, especially people who maybe aren't super deep in magic yet, um, just writing things and sharing them can be really, really great. And I find that generally speaking, ancestors really appreciate that. And the ones that don't like you talking about it are the ones are an indicator that you need to talk about it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, oof. Oof. Um, I think it's interesting too when ancestral trauma like lives in the body. I mean, we already know, like there have been scientific studies that, you know, intergenerational trauma like is passed down um, through through like physical ailments in the body, like, um, you know, a really famous example was uh, Jewish um, people whose uh, family survived the Holocaust, but others did not, you know, like that trauma passes down. And also for um, African-American people, Mm -hmm. like that trauma passes down. And, Um, And what I love is that science is catching up with that and studying it. I'm like, yeah. It's fascinating to see like the actual like connections and stuff. I don't know. I find it so fascinating. Um, especially as someone with a uh, pain condition myself. Um, it's really interesting because, and my pain condition is fibromyalgia, which mm-hmm. granted, okay. So like I just gave an actual diagnosis, like all the legal things I have to say, you know, like, I, I'm not saying that you can diagnose yourself with things or, you know, anything like that. Listen to your doctors, please. Um, but fibromyalgia is unexplained pain in the body. Yeah. And the fact that I have been doing so much more ancestor work since the onset of my fibromyalgia is just a connection that I'm trying to tease out right now. Yeah. Well, and well, and if you look at things like, so the ACEs study, which is a really big um, study that uh, Kaiser Permanente did on like tens of thousands of people. Um, I can't remember how long ago it came out. I think it was like the last decade. Um, ACEs, it stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. So in that study, they basically looked at things like um, um, if certain adverse childhood experiences happen and it could be everything from um parents getting divorced to having an incarcerated family member to you know experiencing abuse of some kind like there's a wide range of things that it increases your chances of experiencing certain things like certain health outcomes 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm. Go science. Keep gathering the data, friends. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to start kind of winding us down. I'm sure this is the first of many conversations personally that you and I will have. Um, But uh, one thing that I cannot not ask because we are so close to Halloween is ghosts. Let's talk about ghosts. Ghosty ghouls. Yeah. Let's, yeah. So what is your experience with ghosts? So I, as a kid, like I said, I was really uncomfortable um, with all of this psychic slash ghost stuff. Um, and I made a, a sort of a, a very angry rule to them at a young age that if it was basically like, if I, if I see you, God damn it, I'll make you sorry. It was kind of along those lines, except with more <laughs> swearing. Um, yes because they would mess with me. Um, I've been touched. I've been grabbed. I've been poked. I've been woken up. I've had my fire alarm set off repeatedly and not because of a low battery. I've had, I've seen them out of the corner of my eye. I, when I see the dead, I tend to more see them in my mind's eye. I think because I've been really clear about it's, it's mostly at this point, I just don't like having my startle response triggered constantly because my body can't, I can't shut it off. So if I see someone in my kitchen and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> right. that's not cool with me and it's not good for my mental health. Thank you. So, um, so that's like my sort of my one hard and fast rule. As long as they're around and not around because of a need to be moved along for some reason because if they need to be moved along I'm just going to cross them over that's what I do mm-hmm. um if not I you know I'm fine with them being around um but I've I definitely have some pretty crazy ghost stories um yes when I go to cemeteries and I love going to cemeteries some mediums hate it I love it it's my favorite thing and it's not like I show up and there's like 200 ghosts just hanging out. It's more like I'll walk by a certain grave and hear someone giggling and then they want to chat room in it. And I'm like, that's cute. We can talk. Um, <laughs> it's, um, or they'll pull me when I go, when I go to um, graveyards where I have ancestors or I suspect I might, they'll pull me, they'll pull me to a grave. And I'm like, found it. Um, oh my gosh, the weirdest stuff used to happen in my house when I was a kid. Just the damn weirdest stuff. Um, doors opening and closing, voices, conversations. And my mom says this used to happen in the house that she grew up in also. I'm like, I guess this is just a thing we do. Um, but um, yeah, when I was younger, it made me so uncomfortable. Now I'm just more like, okay, who is it? <laughs> I'd rather know your name. Come on. I'd rather know your name. And then, of course, if you work with dates, it's just like a whole extra layer of fun. It's like, oh, you guys, you guys get. Um, but, um, oh my God, I'm trying to think of like a, a specific story. But, um, oh, the ancestors at my parents' house at Therahoot, um, my great grandmother decided that she was tired of her jewelry being locked in my mom's closet. And so for like a week, every time, one of us walked by that closet, which just for the record is a very, very tightly closed door that does not rattle and it is not loose in any way. It would sound like, and it's like old New England wooden door with like, like um, loud doorknob. 
every time we would walk by that door, it would just be like, goo, 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 like somebody's trying to get out of the door and it would just be like, what the fuck? <laughs> What's Amazing. going on? But it was happening to all of us separately. And finally one night, like I, I knock, this was like last, last year. And I knock on my parents' door and I'm like, are you guys awake? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, did you just hear that? I'm going <laughs> And I was like, I think it's Alma. And I don't know what the hell is in that closet. And my mom goes, Oh, I have a bag of her jewelry in there. I haven't sorted yet. Damn. So we got up, she got out of bed and we went and got it and sorted through her jewelry. And it was nice and quiet after that. But now they know that they can rattle that door to get our attention. And it's like, it's all over now. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. So I grew up in a haunted house as well, but it was not haunted by an ancestor as far as I know. It was just haunted by someone who had died on the property. Um, And this was also a new house. Like it was built in the eighties. So, you know, a lot of people, when I would say, oh, I grew up in a haunted house, they'd be like, oh, but it's not that old. Like, no, it doesn't matter if it's old or not. The land has been there. There's a possibility for spirits. Um, and so all throughout my childhood, I would like have talked to the ghost and like we, I, one of my favorite games with, um, my best friends as a kid was ghost hunters um Ah. and they were playing and I was not (laughs) um and so we would go it's like when my friends would get out Ouija boards and I would be like I'll just be over here thanks yeah not because I don't have a problem with Ouija boards but when I was a kid I was so uncomfortable and I could feel stuff anyway go ahead sorry Oh, yes, absolutely. I actually have never worked with a spirit board or a Ouija board at all, and I'm very curious to do so, but a lot of people are very hesitant to work with it, so I just haven't had the opportunity to play around with one. Anyway, so um, I kind of continued just casually talking about the ghosts that I grew up with, and, you know, my parents always thought, oh, they'll grow out of it, you know, like, they'll, it's, it's fine. This is just a phase of really loving ghosts. And then when I was a teenager, I had a really horrible experience, which is actually very personal. So I'm not going to go into super depth, but basically like I had like a paralysis situation where like the ghost like acted out something through my body. And it was horrifying as somebody who also experiences Claire. um, What is it when they touch you? Oh, when they touch you. Or I think I've seen the work Claire tangent. Um, yeah, clairtangence, clairtangent. I can't, I can't do that word. Um, something, yeah, something physical. Anyway, so that was like a really traumatic experience that is still very personal. I'm still working through. But after that, she didn't really come around for me anymore. But that was when my mom saw the ghost for the first time. My mom would actually like see her like going around corners. Like one morning, um, my mom always woke up at like an ungodly hour in the morning because she wanted time alone, <laughs> which now that I'm an adult, I totally understand. Um, but she would wake up at like yeah, yeah, yeah. In the morning. And uh, um, so she was in the living room at like 530 in the morning and she thought that I had woken up early. And she was like, oh, Siri, hi. But it wasn't me. And then I just, dis- and then like the ghost disappeared. And so she has like actual really real, like, oh my God, I'm seeing a ghost. And I was like, yeah, mom, I've been telling you for the last like 15 years, <laughs> as long as we've lived in this house, I've been telling you that it's haunted. 
Um, and that was wild. So that's like my experience of haunting. And um, I don't have access to that home anymore. My parents don't live there anymore. But I have thought about um, going and speaking to that spirit now that I have many more skills to do so just to be like, what? Yep. girl, what's going on? Like, I want to, I want to know well, you haunted so me. Scary. Like I, I deserve to know. <laughs> also see the house that I grew up in, which was weirdly haunted and uncomfortable is not the same one that my parents live in now, which is amusingly haunted. <laughs> right. The, un- the uncomfortable house. Interestingly, someone who moved into the house after us ended up getting arrested for a really, really strange crime. And I think about that sometimes because that house, that, that haunting, that was not our ancestors. Like when I think about the stuff that was happening in that house, I was like, I'm like something on that land was very angry. I did not have, as you said, like I did not have the skills to communicate with it at the time or to create a relationship with it or to even attempt that. Um, it felt scary. I did like it as a kid. Um, and I think about that sometimes that this guy then did this weird thing. I'm so curious, but we can also talk about it off air. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, all right. So um, if there is one thing that you hope that listeners take away from this conversation, what is it? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I guess I would say that it's a journey. It's a journey of relationship building and skill building. And both of those things are important. And the reason that framing is important is so that you remember to be kind to yourself because it's a learning process. Yeah. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. And we just talked about some scary haunting stories. So I will say this. Always remember that you are the one with a body. Absolutely. And therefore, you can just tell them to fuck right off. Absolutely. Um, oh, I've said that before. I've said, look, I'm alive. You're dead. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so like if you're having a scary haunting experience, you know, and when I was a kid, I was like, oh my God, like this amazing and terrifying thing is happening and I have no power. No, you actually do have power. Absolutely. Just like communicate with a thing and tell it to go away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you can. And I want people to kind of come away from this conversation not being scared, but just realizing, oh, there's this whole world that it's possible to dig into. Yeah. And the more I learn about it, the less scared I've been about it. It was when I didn't know anything that I was constantly terrified. The more I learned and the more I settled into it and the more I accepted that I have the abilities and the skills that I do... Yeah, I just feel, I mean, I slept with the covers over my head until I was 27 because I had so much weird stuff happen to me when I was younger and it just freaked me out. Yeah. I was so much more comfortable now and and grateful, really. Like now I'm, I'm grateful for the very things that freaked me out when I was a kid. I'm like, ah, I just feel so lucky to have this experience in the world because it's given me so many more layers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many more layers of understanding of the world around me. It's really a blessing to have spirit friends. You know, I have embodied friends and I have spirit friends and that's just how my life is now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's neat. All right, so if people want to work with you, where can they find you? I have a website. It is very simple. It is katieswallow.com. Katie with a Y, swallow like the bird. 
Nice. I'll put a link in the show notes to it as well. And awesome. your Twitter handle, if that's okay. I think it's case. It's either K Swallow Tarot or Katie Swallow Tarot. That's funny. I think it's K Swallow Tarot. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put that in the show notes as well. So people can follow you there. I know that you're always sharing like interesting tidbits on Twitter. Yeah. I get my thread on big time. Yes. We love to see it. All right. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today, Katie. It was a joy to talk to you. Thank you. And that is it for today's episode of the Heathen's Journey podcast. A huge thank you and shout out to all of my students and patrons for making this work available. If you want to become a patron and support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash northernlightswitch. I post full moon and new moon ritual guides, rune readings for each of the turning of the zodiac season, and so much more. If you would like to follow me in between episodes, you can find me on Instagram at northern.lights.witch or on Twitter at northlightwitch. Until next time, stay weird.